As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, This Is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. If you know, then you know it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working all week, trying to turn this blood, sweat, and tears poor with a little bit of green in it go. You can find me, smoke right by. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. All right, guys, Father's Day is just around the corner, and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. I mean, it is what it is. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself a great gift from the awesome folks at Manscaped. Now, they just come out with a lawnmower 4.0. Yeah, you heard that right. The lawnmower 4.0. And you can get that because of this podcast for 20% off plus free shipping. Just go to manscaped.com and use the promo code JED. That's just J-E-D at manscaped.com. You get 20% off and free shipping. You get that on the Lawnmower 4.0 or any of the products that you want to order from manscaped.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where Big Jed, we sometimes discuss Johnny Bracket Racer and the chick with a stick. How are you, Big Jed? Luke, I'm well. I appreciate you asking, and uh, really excited about this week's show. It's great to be back together and uh, and be a full team again. And you know, it's um, it's it's a late night recording, so 
Uh, we, we've got a long show, so hopefully the, the, the late night doesn't show in our, our, our voices or our content. But uh, just super excited about the show and super excited about getting ready to head out tomorrow evening to the Great American Dream Team race at Holly Springs. Uh, it's going to be an awesome event, and I, I don't travel a whole bunch anymore. So I'm a little fired up by it, Luke, just ready to go see how Team Bad Guys gets it done. Love it. Best of luck to you. Safe travels. Um, no, to to your point, this is a, this was a late night recording. It might have got a little chippy at times. Um, we're recording the the intro last, so we've already we've already had our show. We have got a fun show on tap. We got quite a bit to catch up on. It's been a couple of weeks, Jed, since you and I have been together. So uh, we're going to turn back the clock a little bit. We talk uh, spring fling a lot. We talk obviously the uh, the seventy five thousand dollar top bulb loose rocker event from Piedmont, some NHRA as well. I'll say this: if you don't want to hear us sing the praises of Nick Hastings and or Hunter Patton, mm-hmm. um, we'll see you next week. Yeah. There's a lot of that coming, uh, but I think uh, well deserved on, on both fronts. Big Jed, we've got a little bit of bracket racing. We've got a little bit of NHRA. We've got some shouts. We've got a Manscaped read. Everything that you look forward to in the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, we're bringing it today. But first, EJ North. Luke, it has been a little while, as you uh, mentioned off air, that since we've gotten together, so we hadn't had the opportunity to to talk racing in, I guess, about I three you, weeks or so. It has. It, it's been rough without you, but uh, good to be back together. And we're going to talk a little bit of racing. We're going to talk about the Glot Flame. We'll, we'll go back a little ways and talk about it. And we're going to talk about the the Piedmont seventy five k top bulb race. But Luke, there's a there's a topic of discussion that we just can't avoid right now and it is one bad man that's nasty nick hastings nick is is absolutely on fire this year and uh you know just on a roll like i don't know like we haven't seen you know we've seen a lot of guys have great seasons recently uh in recent years um you know you got your Kenny Underwood, you got your Hunter Pattons, you got your West Mays, and so on. But Nasty just seems to be doing it over and over and over. The guy's incredible. I almost interrupted, Jed, because you said Nick's been on a roll this year. Um, it's <laughs> it's like a five-year stretch at this point, right? Yeah, it really is. I have, a, I have a related question topic for you. This is something that I actually had in the podcast notes over a month ago and the show went long we didn't get to it and i thought well nick will win again we'll bring this up are we do we fully appreciate what we're seeing do we have full respect for what nick hastings is doing oh that's a great question you know one of the reasons we're talking about the SC did it again at the Piedmont 75K wins the 75K top bulb event off the bottom. Truly incredible feat. And that is something that should be celebrated at the highest level. You know, it should be something incredible that everybody just can't believe happened. Yet, because Nasty Nick Hastings did it, 
it's like, yeah, okay, well, no big deal. Nasty Nick did it again. Oh, he did it off the bottom. Okay. Well, that's no surprise either because, you know, he's double O no matter whether he's letting go on the top <laughs> or the bottom. It, so, yeah, he's absolutely underappreciated for what he's accomplishing, Luke. I just, I think you put this in a vacuum. Like, I don't want to be a prisoner at the moment. I'm not sure we've ever seen anything like this. I mean, when you see with the, the, the basis of this podcast, we talk about Nick a lot. I don't know that we talk about Nick enough. Like I don't, I don't know that we've ever seen anything like this. I'll just, I'll, I'll present this through my lens, right? My, my prism for for viewing and paying attention, right? So let's go back in time. What a month ago to the to the seventy five thousand um, dollar footbreak race at Piedmont, uh, the the loose rocker event that Nick runnered up to Soggy Dunn. I remember, like I, I, whatever I was doing that day, I, I pulled up the the live feed late, and it was over, right? And so I scrolled back, you know, to see the last whatever half hour, and basically, I, the first thing I see is Soggy Dunn's Winter Circle interview, and honestly, I was like, there was a part of me surprised that wow, Nick didn't win. <laughs> what I, like it's the biggest football race of the year, and I just have come to like it. It's it's almost a given. I feel like Nick's going to be there, and I'm like, oh, I wonder what happened. And then I scroll back a little further, and I'm like, oh, he lost in the final, right? <laughs> like, so when I looked up the results um, Friday for the seventy-five thousand dollar top ball race, it was no shock to see Nick Hastings win. And I'll be honest, the first thought that popped into my mind was, I wonder if he was off the top or the bottom. And how many racers could win an event like that? And that thought would even cross your mind. Like it's not—it's not a surprise Nick did it. It's—I I wonder in which manner Nick won. Yeah, no. To to guess top or bottom, uh, there's basically none other than Nick. You know, we we had the, the Kevin Pollard run uh, two or three years ago where he was winning these big races and or, or going to finals in them but we knew he was off the bottom because kevin doesn't hit the top don't like to hit the top and you've had some other bottom bubbers perform extremely well but i don't know that we've seen this kind of versatility in quite some time uh, because nick is certainly capable of doing it either or the top or the bottom so uh, it's a fair question to ask and i'm not sure there's anyone else out there right now that we would ask that of just for context, to, to try to put this into perspective, let's back up to the, the end of 2020, right? The end of last season. And that shouts to producer Mark for compiling this as best, best we could. Uh, starting with the Great American Million at Memphis. At that event, Nick Hastings was in the final of No Box every day that they had a race. Foot braked his way to the semis of the true million dollar to win main event. Uh, a week later, won a 50 grander, letting go off the top at the OG million in Montgomery. Fast forward to 2021, uh, the Bigfoot 75K that, that we referenced earlier, he won a $3,000 gambler's race, uh, followed that up by runnering up the $75,000 main event. He trekked west to Las Vegas, where he foot braked his way down to six cars in the million, in the main event, and lost arguably the, the best round late in that event to the ultimate winner, Bo Butner. 
he travels back across the country to the Footbreak 150 at Gulfport, $20,000 runner up there. Um, at the St. Patrick's Footbreak Triple Tens, he had a win and a runner up. And that's just the highlights. Like, that's seemingly the last, I don't know, seven or eight events that he's been to. There have been a few more along the way, and he's had some quote unquote off weekends. But it's kind of the, similar to the way that we talked about Hunter Patton last year, Jed. Like, when Nick loses at six cars, that was a bad weekend. And for so many of us, that would be the highlight of the season. Yeah, you know, it's it's incredible th- that we're seeing his bad days be almost dream come true days for the average racer, average Joe out there. Uh, yet, you know, this guy uses that and somehow fuels himself to to make up for it either the next day, the next week, whatever, when he does come up a little bit short. Uh, you know, and it, it's just, it's truly unbelievable when you run down this list of what he's accomplished in the last few months. And now to think, Luke, we're about to go, uh, I'll be leaving tomorrow evening, going to Holly Springs for the, the Moser Great American Dream Team race. That race last year, Nick won every foot brake race they had. Every single one of them. The, the, the Dream Team, the the main events, everything, uh, you know, so he's about to return to the scene of arguably one of the best performances he's ever had on top of all this other stuff we're talking about. It's unbelievable. I don't know how you put into perspective, like the, the, the pantheon of, of, uh, sportsman drag racing, right? And I don't want to be a, a prisoner of the moment. I, I think that we all guard against that saying like what we see today is the, the most amazing thing ever because it's the most fresh on our mind. But with that said, I do, I really think that we underappreciate Nick Hastings and what we're seeing. Like, I'm not ready at this point right now today to say Nick Hastings is the best racer I've ever witnessed. In a, in a decade, that may be uh, an inevitable statement. You know what I mean? If he keeps this up, I don't know how you could argue against it. But right now, today, I, I don't. You've probably got a better perspective on this than I do, Jed. But I'm ready to say right now, today, that in specifically what Nick does best, and I think it's hard to argue that what he does best is swap feet. I'm ready to say he's the best that's ever done it. I'm not sure that there's a close second. Yeah, uh, you know it everybody's going to have an opinion on who they think is the best and certainly the best ever because you know our eyes see what our eyes see and those that haven't witnessed nick in person might not give him that title just yet but luke i feel like i've seen them all all of the greats for three decades and there's nobody nobody that's ever done it at the level that nick hastings is doing it right now and I'm confident, that's an opinion, of course, but I'm confident that I could debate that with anyone. I mean, the guys is, you know, as you say, everything we see is the greatest hit I've ever seen, the greatest touchdown throw or run or team. This guy truly is the best that's ever done it uh, in foot break. Now, there's some incredible bottom bulbers when you get a trans break in their hand, trans break button in their hand. And, you know, they might could match skill levels with Nick but swapping feet there's never been one better it's interesting thing I agree with you it's not just the wins it's the manner in which he does it I mean if you with the technology that we have today like we're literally seeing every run he's rarely red 
it doesn't seem like he's ever 20. Like, he's just solid. Every single time. It's uh, it's incredible. And when we, when we try to stack it up, you know, and say, like, all-time great, so to speak, I mean, when we look at our game today, I feel like it's more specialized than it's ever been, right? Like, back in the day, the, the badge of honor, so to speak, was to be able to win in all facets, right? Like the, the best racers, say when I was growing up, the, the racers that I always looked up to the most were the racers that could win a top ball race, a bottom ball race, eighth mile, quarter mile, trans break, foot break, pro tree, full tree, NHRA, IHRA, bracket races, you name it, right? Because to, to make a, a living at the sport or to really have success, you almost had to wear a lot of different hats because there simply wasn't enough good races to specialize in any one thing. That's not the case anymore. Like, it's not necessary to be good at everything. You've got so many, um, they, like, let's just say uh, specific to big dollar bracket racing. Like, there's so many big dollar events uh, all across the country, week in and week out top ball bottom ball like whatever you want to do uh there is an opportunity to do that at a high level seemingly every single week so if you're someone like nick hastings like why would you pursue like being great in a dragster or being awesome in a trans break off the bottom or something like he's found a niche where he's really good obviously and i don't mean to take away from his versatility obviously he's very very capable on the top as well but like if you're the best freaking footbrake racer in the world like why do anything else at this point in the game right yeah no i, I couldn't i couldn't imagine why he would want to chase anything else and and you know one of the other things that's unique about nick in in a day of social media luke and and getting tagged and and making posts yeah had a great day at this race or that race you just never see it from him he is incredibly humble quiet just to himself doing his thing he doesn't discuss his results he's truly just going to work i mean it's what he does for a living and he just gets up and goes to work every time he he suits up and he does his job extremely well i think you've noticed but it's really it's really so different now with social media and all the the people discussing because hey people you know not not bragging about it but people need to thank the people that help them get to the track and you know they need to show some appreciation for the the marketing partners and sponsors that they have nick probably has a ton of that that never gets that kind of recognition yet you know if you just watch his program you see the people that you see the products that he's using the people that's helping him and you know they're they're obviously getting a lot of attention off of what he's doing but he just the way he does is just so different than everyone else it, it's it's really neat to watch it all play out and quite honestly i'll text nick from time to time and say you know truly incredible job this weekend uh, congrats on another big weekend i won't hear nothing back i mean the guy i don't know if he ever reads it if he just don't read his text if he just don't respond to him because there's too many i mean it's a good friend I, I won't hear back so i've just quit saying it and i'll uh i'll just catch up with him at a race somewhere and give him a big old hug and tell him congrats it's really neat the way he goes about his business i i actually think you hit on something as to i i think that's part of the the reason that i don't want to say in a case things flies under the radar but i i 
feel like that's part of the reason that I, I tend to think that he gets underappreciated is because he's not polarizing at all. You know what I mean? Like, to know exactly. Nick is to love him, but to just watch from afar, I don't think you can hate Nick Hastings, but I don't know that you can love Nick Hastings. He's just out there winning. Like, he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make, uh, he doesn't make a fool of himself. He doesn't self he doesn't seem to relish the spotlight like he's just to your point there to win i'll, I'll take it to this um most of you probably know jed i know that you know like I, i'm a i wouldn't say i'm a lifelong fan of the nba like i grew up really following nba basketball and i've fallen back in love with it now in in the last couple of years and i'll keep this analogy re- analogy really broad where I, I think even if you're not a basketball fan you could follow along right but i I think back to I was growing up and watching Michael Jordan, and I feel like I, if this is retrospective, of course, but I feel like now looking back, I feel like I appreciated what I was watching. Like I just knew that I was watching something and someone incredible, right? Remove it from the discussion of like was he the best of all time? Did he? That I think he was the best of all time. Like it was just amazing to watch him compete. He was obviously the best of that time, right? Fast forward that to today, and I watch. It says LeBron James, or I think Steph Curry is maybe even a better example because what Steph Curry does, I've never seen before. Like I mean, he'll just pull up from forty-five feet and like they go in, right? It, it's incredible. It's it and it's fun to watch, and. But at the same time, I, I feel like in today's day and age, like we don't appreciate what Steph Curry does. I feel like there are so many distra- detractors focused on what he can't do. Like he's too diminutive. He doesn't play good defense. Or um, you know, if he played in Jordan's day, like he he'd get uh, he get decapitated coming in the lane. Like he's not tough enough. Whatever, right? Why can't we just appreciate what he does? And when I I I'll bring this back to racing, okay? That same time frame, watching the the guys that we grew up idolizing, like Scotty Richardson, Peter Biondo, obviously, to come to mind. You compare them to, to Nick and really all the stars of today. Even as a competitor to, to Peter and Scotty, I just always knew that I was in the presence of greatness. Like, I truly appreciated it you know i don't i I don't ever want to feel like i was intimidated by it as a competitor but you just knew like oh man this this is one of the best that's ever done it or the best that's ever done it and perhaps there's reasons that we don't necessarily feel that way today but i don't i don't know that that's as present with nick hastings or any of the stars of today 100 Patton, jeff sarah whoever and why is that like I don't know. I, I feel like some of it is uh, this hyper-connectivity that we have as a, as, a, as a people that I think just leads to, to maybe pessimism or just picking things apart, right? And we just have to have a debate. But kind of back to what you were saying too, Jed, like there's no villain aspect with Hunter or really even to, to his stars. Like you go back to the, my basketball analogy. Michael Jordan relished the fact that opposing bands, fans would do him. Right, like he got off on it. Like, yeah, I'm gonna ruin your day. And Kobe, and I felt like took it to a new level. Well, Scotty, and maybe to a little bit less extent, Peter, like they had some of that dog in them too. They kind of leaned into that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it was just this feeling like, and maybe it was, maybe it's all um, perception. But I just 
remember looking at Scotty Richardson and feeling like I could read his mind and him just looking around going, there ain't nobody here that can whip me. And I don't get that feeling, for, certainly from from Nick, um, and really all of today's stars, with the maybe, like you get a little bit of that from Johnny, right, Bracket Racer, but I think that's just from people that don't know him. I think that's the perception that comes off. Hunter gets a little bit of a chip on his shoulder every now and then. He'll go at somebody on social media, but by and large, like... I know that that rip your heart out, rip your throat out mentality exists internally because I don't think that you get to that level without having that dog in you, but nobody lets it show today like in years past, and I think that's part of it. I think it's, I think it's harder to, um, to fall in love with that, but it, because it's also like harder to hate it. There's, as a people, we're not polarizing, I think, because we're trying to appease everyone. Like That's kind of what culture has taught us. Yeah, very well said, and you've you went down a path there that I, I think is very interesting. You know, you talk about the greats. You, you mentioned several of the greats, you know, the the Scotties, the Peters, the Williams brothers, the JBRs, Hunter, uh, Underwood, Sugar Shane, and the list goes on and on and on. I'm sure, Luke, there's been many a times where you had a chip on your shoulder and it, it was visible, you know, like that. You know, this, this guy really think he's going to hold three on me or hold five on me or whatever. It's just never visible with with Nick. He just, again, he's just so reserved and keeps things to himself. You know that he's got he's got to be pulling the line every time, expecting to turn the wind light on. I mean, that's just it, it becomes who you are when light associated with your runs when you have a, a record like he's had the last many years so you know he goes expecting to turn the wind light on when he does it it's got to it's got to put a little bit of fire in his in his gut or fire in his pit it it, it just has to piss him off a little bit but you just don't see it i don't know how he how he controls that how he doesn't get aggravated or at least visible. And I'm sure his closest friends ago, you just don't know him well enough. I mean, you, you know, I get the, I get the text or I get the call or I'm there when he gets back sometimes and maybe that's happening, but he's just not making it very visible when things don't go his way. And somehow I think that translate into making them go your way when you get another opportunity, whether it's the next round or the next week or whenever it is, it's, it's just, it's fun to watch a guy that's so humble and reserved and quiet perform at a level so dominant. Yeah, I guess if, if I have a point to any of this rambling and, and oozing about the, the greatness of Nick Hastings, it's this. Like, I just, I think it's easy to take for granted whatever's happening now in this moment and I would I try to remind myself of this like I would encourage you the listener enjoy greatness like this is rare this is unprecedented we don't see this I would just encourage you appreciate what you're seeing appreciate Nick Hastings and what he's doing because it is incredible I agree 100% obviously uh, we have just uh, oogled over Nick and, and the person that he is and the accomplishments that he's had. But crazy as it sounds, Luke, he was not the only winner at the Piedmont 75K. The, Wait, were there, were there other racers there? 
there were uh, apparently slightly over 300 more racers in attendance. And I know they had some gamblers races and whatnot, but the main event races outside of what uh, Nick Hastings accomplished. I know Skirt got a win there. Ken Batchelor got a win. Um, again, guys themselves that are no stranger to the winner's circle have, uh, have a long list of accomplishments themselves. So certainly didn't mean to overshadow what, uh, what anyone else has accomplished, but um, Nick was the man of the hour winning the 75K off bottom, and uh, I, it looked like a really good event there for the Loose Rocker guys, uh, again, with uh, what appeared to be slightly over 300 in attendance. We didn't overshadow any of the other racers, did we Nick Hastings good. overshadowed them. Ah, it's Nick's fault. <laughs> Let's Blame keep it in Nick. the state of uh, of North Carolina. As you mentioned coming in, uh, we're we're uh, catching up on a couple of weeks here. So um, the the other big race in that part of the country and in that specific state over the course of the last month, Spring Fling Galat. Big winners from Spring Fling Galat. How about Clayton Roberts, Donnie Burleson? Sugar Shane Carr, Timmy Markaglu was the big winner. Markaglu, did I get that out? Markaglu, you got it. He was the big hundred thousand dollar winner. Jerry Brewer won the last day. If there's a common theme there among those five winners, all of them driving 450 and quicker dragsters. Dragsters dominate, Big Jed. Even in a day and age where dragsters and door cars are separate, is that uh happenstance or is there something to that oh luke you know those things are at every race every big race uh so uh, you know i don't think we've seen quite a run uh for the the 450 and faster dragsters uh like we saw at galat at the spring plane galat so i'm gonna say it was just coincidence um certainly don't want that to catch on 450 and faster dragsters winning all the races. I mean, are we? do we want to ruin bracket racing? Because if we do, let's just keep doing that. It's not a good look for the sport as a whole. I will agree with you there. Um, with that said, faster is better. It just is. Like I, I feel like this has been diminished a little bit in recent years because of the structure of races. So we, we bring more door cars out. You see more door cars winning. Um, but I'll just say, like, forget, let's, let's remove door cars from the equation. There is a, uh, a myth that all of us, I think, at some point have subscribed to, I used to subscribe to, that there's like a, a, a sweet spot. You, you don't want to go too slow, but you don't want to go too fast because you get going too fast and, you know, you get really track dependent. This might apply to door cars, too. I'm beginning to learn that. But specifically to dragsters, faster is better. It just is. It's, there's, there's less... Yeah, just the pure physics of it, like there's less time to be on the racetrack, so there's less time for variables to impact you. But we think that the faster you go, the more traction-sensitive your combination becomes. I'm just telling you, like, I don't, I've never, I've, I don't have a 420 dragster, right? I don't have a dragster at all right now. But when I went from running 480s, and I had a lot of success running 480s, I went to going 450s, and I was really concerned about it. Because I'm like, ah, man, that, that might be on the edge. I'm telling you, I thought I had good 480 cars. The, the, the faster car was better. It just is. Like, it drives the tire into the ground. It is actually less track dependent. And like I said, I don't think it's good for the sport because it costs more money to go faster. But I think it is hard to to argue 
that faster is not better. Now, to your point, Jed, the beauty of bracket racing is that that eighty to hundred thousand dollar pipe rack that's going four forties uh, is not necessarily any more competitive than look at Nick Hastings, Matt Dadas, Wes May, Scotty Richardson, Gage Birch with that six second door car. Like they can win too, but I'm just saying that in a vacuum, that faster purpose built car is at an advantage. It's not a significant, it's not a huge advantage, but it's an advantage. Despite the rules that we've put into place to, to minimize or mitigate that advantage, like I don't think that that's coincidence. That, that I, I'm a firm believer that faster actors, while more expensive, while less fun, um, it, if it's in a vacuum, I do think it's the best tool for the job. Yeah, there's there's no debating or arguing that, uh, Luke. You know, you're you're going to have the the people that brings up the list that you brought up, the Nick Hastings, Dadis May, Scotty Gage, but you're talking about guys that are arguably in the top ten percent of driving talent in our sport. Let's just let's just say I put a, a guy that wins a couple of races a year in a 450 dragster. And I put a guy that wins a couple of races a year in a 650 or 620 door car and let them go 10 times against one another. That dragster is going to win six to seven minimum. And that speed is hard to combat and it's hard to deal with on the racetrack. So talent to talent, everything being equal, the 450 and faster dragster is the better tool to get the job done. And I said, you know, we're trying to ruin the sport. And I was saying that tongue in cheek. I have nothing against 450 and faster dragsters. I mean, they're, you know, they're a great tool. And, and a lot of people are utilizing that tool to, to try to turn on wind lights. But it certainly is less fun to watch. And it certainly does not peg the cool meter when you see a 450, 40, 30, 20 dragster win a big race. It's, you know, it's just... I don't know. And, and I'm not trying to minimize what they've accomplished because it certainly is, you know, remarkable to win a big event on a big stage with a big purse, no matter how fast you're going. But it just doesn't peg the cool meter when it's done by a real fast dragster as opposed to that high five, high six second door car, whatever it is. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll feel that way forever. Any door car. Like, you get wheelies, or if a seven-second door car wins, that's a story. If a four-second door car wins, that's cool. Like, it's just, it does. It pegs the cool meter to win when you slam a door. Yeah, I agree. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast over the PA on race day reasons to use bte tune up services number one quick turnaround time you won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts number two unparalleled customer service and responsive communication reason number three all brands of parts are accepted 
It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services. Quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance. Now you might ask, how is the lawnmower 4.0 different from other trimmers? Well, this upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. Now, this is a great feature if your father or yourself do a lot of traveling. You keep that thing from, uh, you know, getting, getting away from you in the bag, let's say. It also gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for more precise trimming. You know, sometimes you can't see in the cave without a little bit of light. Now, you can go take care of your package in the dark because you got that 4,000K LED spotlight. It's incredible. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 to 4. So whatever length you prefer, they can take care of it with the Lawnmower 4.0. I mean, you cut the grass. You get it. You cut it a little higher, cut it a little lower. Whatever you like, the Lawnmower 4.0 can provide that for you. Now get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Use promo code JED. Simply put J-E-D. Now don't forget that you came from your bad loins. And this year, you can show your original home and some appreciation for the old man by going to manscaped.com and ordering him the Lawnmower 4.0. Get it today. All right, um, I'm gonna switch gears. I'm gonna go NHRA. I got a lot of I got a lot of NHRA notes. You up for it? Oh yeah, bring it. All right. So since we last talked, we've had two NHRA national events. Uh, the the final national event in Atlanta. Uh, most recently, the four wides in Charlotte. Had a double divisional in Dallas, Texas. Let's take them one at a time. I want to start with Atlanta just because <clears throat> I felt like it was story rich, like an abundance of great stories from the last. NHRA national event in Atlanta. Uh, it was a special one to me. Like I won Supergas, so as a racer, that result was really important to me. As a podcaster, Jed, I'm more about content, and I'll readily admit that from a content standpoint, I had I was by far the least intriguing winner at Atlanta. So let's move on. Chuck Trotter wins Supercomp in a Thunderbird. I mean, like, he did his burnout and slammed the door before he staged for the Super Comp final. You don't see that very often. <laughs> no, no, that's not something you see very often. It uh, was really cool to see Chuck get that done. But And, and Luke, I don't want to blow by what you, the, the way you gave your results and then just kind of discarded it. Um, pretty cool win for you. Uh, you, you, you had a story leading up to it about what Atlanta meant to you and the things that you've accomplished there, both in bracket racing and uh, NHRA competition over a couple of decades. And to go out and get that last win in Supergas uh, was a pretty cool story, and, and you drove well. So congrats on that. Uh, that deserved a little more attention than you gave it. And I, I get your whole your whole deal there, how you what you were doing, but... Um, I, I maybe not as cool as Chuck Trotter, but it was cool. Definitely not as cool as Chuck Trotter, but, <laughs> but no. To your point, like I, I do, I have a soft spot for Atlanta. I, I don't 
many of our listeners may have seen my my facebook post like for a, for a track that was never like my home track that really i've only probably been to a dozen times it was just a place that everything always seemed to click and my first trip there was um the year that they had the million george howard's million that's uh, 2001 and um it was just uh it was in october so it was like two months after my father passed away and it was one of the first trips where i you know went racing without my dad so it was like a i don't know like rite of passage isn't the right word at that point it was more like oh wow if i'm gonna do this like it's i I gotta kind of be on my own right i went with my mom and my girlfriend at the time and um we just ran the table uh the day before the million i won uh, a 20 grander and they had a it's like an all-star race for everybody that had won a bnm series event that season the winner got a new chassis i won both of them and that was my introduction to atlanta right and since then it's also it was the home to my first nhra national event win uh now a couple more since won a handful of big bracket races there nearly doubled up at a bnm series race and you know how hard that was like just to say for the for the number of times that i went to atlanta it seemed to have a lot of tremendous memories so to to close it out on a high note yeah that that was pretty special to me no doubt as it should have been a great win for you and and again what chuck trotter accomplished is uh you know really cool but to wrap up racing at at a legendary facility like that and and to do it in that kind of fashion was is going to be a great story it'll be a great story for for the rest of all of our lives so cool deal there for chuck but uh, luke let's let's talk about some other pretty awesome accomplishments yeah, no, like I say, Atlanta was rich on stories. Charter winning comp in a door car. First time that's happened in a decade. Big Jed trivia time. Who was the last driver? This floated around on the internet a little bit, so you, you may have seen it. Who was the last driver to uh, to win super comp in a door car in a door car prior to Chuck Trotter? Um. Well, I I, I feel like it was Kunkel, but I didn't see it on facebook kunkel kunkel swept the divisionals last year hadn't won a national in the ah, yet. okay and it's been a decade right so you gotta think back you gotta go west the last driver to win a nhra national event in super comp in a door car kevin kleinweber and what i thought was really oh. cool about this uh WFO Joe and Joe Costello had Chuck Trotter on the stage at Atlanta and as he's interviewing him gets a text message from Kevin Kleinweber hey tell him congrats how awesome is that very cool very cool I mean Kevin Kleinweber is a really good dude himself so that's uh, that's good stuff I wish I had known the answer to that yeah you did you said I think a little harder <laughs> Chuck Trotter wins Supercomp. Defeated Kent Hanley in the final. Hanley in an, had a story in and of itself. He nearly doubled at Atlanta. Uh, m- minutes after losing the Supercomp final to Chuck Trotter, Kent comes back in his Cavalier to win Superstock. His last win in Superstock. This was his second national event victory in the Superstock category. The first just recently, 1994. Oh, yeah. 20 years ago. 27 years removed from his first national event victory in that category Kent Hanley wins his second Superstock Wally in between he did win two national events in Super Comp in the Superstock final um, Kent knocked off <clears throat> Brett Candies of note there Brett Candies 0-5 in NHRA national event finals that's the bad news the good news 
three consecutive runner-ups to start 2021 in Superstock. He actually just added another one at the Dallas Divisional last weekend. So while Brett didn't get to hoist the, the Wally and have the national event glory, he's looking pretty strong as a contender for this year's uh, national championship. Uh, Stock Eliminator Final had no shortage of drama. That's a heads-up final. Those are always fun regardless of the class. Personally, maybe I'm a little bit biased, I think it's more fun when it's a K-Stock automatic heads-up. The race itself wasn't that close. Greg Rowe uh, beat Adam Davis handily, but heads-up finals are cool. Heads-up finals are slow cars, I think, even cooler. Dylan Stott, Big Jed. Before we blow by that, excuse me, that heads-up stock final, that was in a a big um, uh, nomad station wagon that Adam was driving. Two tons of fun. That he had just went to Minnesota from Alabama, picked that up kind of on a whim. He and uh, Greg Hines partnered up to go get that and takes it out for the first race. And I don't know, I can't even remember what it was running, like high 12s, low 13s, and drove the wheels off of that thing and made the final round and arguably would have, you know, been a, a, a major threat to win that final national event there had he not had a heads up with what might be one of the fastest case stock cars in the country i mean he got outrun bad unfortunately for him but really cool story and as much as we talk about how talented nick hastings is on the bottom that's a guy and you you ran with him for years that's a guy that at his peak uh could do it as good or better than anyone no doubt we were a uh, funny story we were actually parked next to uh adam and Greg at Atlanta. So uh, Greg Hines, you know, new to the stock eliminator scene, right? So they get down to four cars as we're going into Sunday, and Adam's explaining like, yeah, we're doing great, but if we win and Greg Rowe wins, we're going to have a heads-up final and we don't have a prayer. And Greg, you know Greg, he's like, no, we ain't, we're not losing. Like, we ain't just giving up. We're not, we're not losing a heads-up. What do we got to do? <laughs> and Adam looks at him and says, look, if we win and he wins... We're losing a heads up. <laughs> so I think they were ready to, at some point to go home and get a 383 out of a bracket car to make it a little bit better fight. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited sure. against that. <laughs> I'm sure. The other sportsman winner from Atlanta, Dylan Stott, got really a, a long-awaited, long-overdue first national event win in Top Sportsman. That in itself huge story uh, that's a, another racer that atlanta has been very good to but the way that this happened jed i don't know if you caught this dylan not only gets his first national event win but should get like the annual award for sportsmanship the way that this shook down quarterfinal round opposite alan firestone they pull in the water and i forget something happened in front of them to where i don't remember if there was uh a small leak on the racetrack or whatever the case may be but the nhr officials weren't go 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 well alan's car um developed like a massive i believe it was fuel leak right in the water box and as they get the track ready and are ready to send everybody the entire firestone crew has the front cap off this car trying to figure out what's wrong fix it and they're telling Dylan to go, and Dylan just waits patiently. They get the fixed, they slide the front end on, they clean the track, and Dylan rolls up there and then wins the round straight up. And I just, if you watched it, it, it didn't happen. 
have to go that way. Many racers wouldn't have handled it the way that Dylan did. But even in the interview post-race, Dylan said, like, look, I've been that guy, right? Like, and I just want a fair shake, and I wanted to give him a fair shake. And it's one thing to say that. I think a lot of us would say that. Not everybody would do that. And so kudos to Dylan, and then I feel like it was just kind of the good karma coming back around. He only not only wins that round, uh, rolls through David Tatum in the semifinals, Sandy Wilkins in the final, collects his first national event, Wally. Yeah, very cool story. Dylan Stott uh, wins the, the Gary Williams uh, Sportsmanship Award for the Atlanta National. That's a, that's a great story there. And, you know, with, with all that's on the line and all the money and time spent to get to that point, to think that, that someone can put sportsmanship and, and a fair shot at winning for their opponent ahead of everything else. That's uh, that's pretty incredible. So good for you, Dylan Stott. Really cool story. All right. Side note, and I just slide this in somewhere, right? So I think we mentioned this in a previous episode. It was at the NHRA Divisional event in Houston that um, Slate Cummings lost control of his Superstock car past the finish line. It, if you watch it, it looks like it was an obvious result of excessive braking. Just stuffs that beautiful cobalt into the wall destroys the car um <clears throat> luckily didn't collect his opponent um right so that's all done right that's uh, a couple weeks ago well nhra and division four release a statement of action against participant last week that caught my eye and i'll just read it verbatim the following action has been taken against Slate Cummings regarding excessive braking at Houston Raceway Park in Baytown, Texas during Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series event number 4-2. Cummings was disqualified from the event, will receive zero points from the event, and the event will count towards his quota. In other words, Slate Cummings got a, a slap on the wrist or sent to the principal's office or what have you. And Jed, I, don't, I won't put you in a bad spot and ask you to comment on this. I, I, if you've got thoughts, we'll, we'll get to them. I just want to say this, like, reasonable minds can disagree here, and I understand the desire from the powers that be to take a stand here, right? At the same time, and I, I have not spoken to Slate about this, I, I, I assume that I know how he feels, I know how I would feel if I was him, okay? I just destroyed a $100,000 race car. If there is... <laughs> if there's anything that's going to make me change my ways, so to speak, and you could argue that this is overdue, like Slate is a very aggressive finish line driver, right? And I'm not condoning that action at all. But if I'm going to learn from this, you know, what's going to make me learn from it? Destroying a $100,000 race car and, and the potential of collecting the car beside me and or hurting myself or someone else. That all being in the past, to, to come down with this three weeks later, I don't know. It just feels like I would take it as a slap in the face, personally. Like, I just don't, I don't, I, again, reasonable minds can disagree. I understand, like, hey, we need to crack down on this, but it just seems like pouring salt and wounds to me. Like, I, I don't, I don't know why this had to go like this. And I'll take it, I'll take it a step further and just, I think it's because I think it sets a bit of a dangerous precedent. Let me lay out this scenario, and maybe this is far-fetched, but it could happen, right? The way that they did this, post-mortem, to, to say, okay, in the aftermath, this is a disqualification, we're going to strip all points from the event, you have to claim the event. Let's just say, hypothetically, 
let's fast forward to the last uh, divisional event of the season in Las Vegas. And let's say that Justin Lamb, right, because he's a, he's a prime suspect, is competing for the Superstock World Championship. And let's say that Justin has to win round three at that event to win, and he does it. So now Justin Lamb is your world champion six time NHRA world champion. And let's just say that two rounds later, Justin gets on the brakes too hard or loses control in general and, and destroys his car, puts it in the wall. Are we going to go in now and strip away his points from the event and strip away that world championship? Like this is a, this is, I realize that the event director in the NHRA has ultimate discretion, like they can do what they want, but to my knowledge, this ruling is unprecedented and I just, I, I fear that it creates a slippery slope because now what would you do in that situation? I don't know. I just felt like this was unnecessary. I wouldn't disagree, Luke. Uh, you know, for me, what I don't know is what took place prior to this incident. That's, that's fair. And this announcement. Um, you know, had Slate been warned privately on a couple of occasions, Slate, you know, if, if this turns into an accident, this is what's going to happen. So, you know, maybe they've done their due diligence. Maybe they did their, their you know, pre-work here and, and had some discussions with him. But if it, you know, if it just happened as a result of the accident, um, yeah, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly that, that that's probably setting a dangerous precedent. And, you know, you're, you're going to have the people affected by rulings like this now, Emmons and Cummings, and you're, you're going to have those people watching closely and you better make sure you do it fair and equal and i don't know how right. you do it fair and equal when it comes to putting the brakes on now how hard did i put the brakes on how, how can you tell how hard i put the brakes on did something fail uh and slight you know in true slight fashion and then I, I love him for it he did his video showed his car all beat up in the shop and tore up and parts here parts there and he said yeah yeah, I dropped and I stuffed it in the wall. And he said, probably going to do it again. And he didn't mean probably going to wreck again. But he, what he meant was, I'm going to drop. That's that's just instinct and that's who he is. So um, it'll be interesting to see how his driving style uh, works with the NHRA's uh, thoughts and, and rules. Or at least their perception of what the rule is yeah i mean we've had this discussion before i don't know that we necessarily need to revisit it it is to, to try to police excessive breaking in general is uh is selective prosecution unless you're just simply going to penalize someone every time that they crash right which again i feel like at that point it's diminishing returns i, I guess my overall argument here is that if you as a racer don't quote unquote learn your lesson or reevaluate your tactics after uh, stuffing one in the wall like i don't think that this ruling is going to have any effect you know what i mean like if that doesn't change my mind and make me reevaluate how i'm going to drive the finish line being stripped away of my points and saying i'm disqualified from an event that i had no prayer of making it to the next round was lucky to walk away and and, and like walk i you know like what are we accomplishing that i guess that's my point very good point. Walmart don't take points, but they would take $100,000 that it's going to take to replace that car. So that, that would be less than enough for me, for sure. Fair enough. Charlotte National Event, this is just this past weekend. Uh, Jim Perry won Supergas, and I will say, Big Jed, that that was a karmic win. 
if we go back two weeks prior at the Atlanta National Event, it was Jim Perry that was making the best runs of the Supergas field. Uh, Jim and I were actually paired up in the semifinal round on Sunday, and I I don't know exactly what happened to Jim. I talked to him just after the the, the round, but he, we pulled into the water and his truck died and would not refire. And it was something simple, like it, it acted like it didn't have any ignition. I don't know if I'll speculate coil wire fell off, like something dumb, right? And but that's an awful time for something like that to happen, right? To, to, to give away a, a solo in a semifinal at an event where he had just been lights out, tree going 90 the whole deal. Well, he got whatever the issue was fixed, went to Charlotte, and then proceeded to just be lights out. It was the uh, box score wise, like, was the best car on the property, the best driver on the property, and just rolled through another six rounds to get the win at Charlotte. So, wanted to note that and say congrats to him. Other winners from Charlotte. Our boy Pete D, Pete Dagnolo, super stock winner this time around. He collected a comp victory earlier in the year. Marion Stevenson was your winner in stock. Bo Upton in super comp. Bo nearly doubled. He was deep in super gas as well. David Barton got the competition eliminator win in a factory stocker. Let's see that every day. Might be a wave of the future. Ronnie Proctor, former NHRA world champion former guest here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. He was our top sportsman winner. Not only, Jed, was he the top sportsman winner, he gets my box score award for the event. You know, I'm a fan of the box score. Admittedly, Ronnie Proctor ran Lester Johnson. <laughs> yeah, that Lester Johnson, my guy. In the final round, Lester had issues. Uh, I don't know exactly what happened, but hurt the car in the semis, was unable to make the call. Ronnie Proctor also got a bye run in round three, so top sportsman is 32-car field max. So if you do the math there, he actually only had to beat three opponents. But those three runs were pretty freaking impressive. Ronnie Proctor is between 009 and 15 on the tree in those three runs, matches the dial-in on two of the three. You start laying down top sportsman packages of 20 or less, uh, you're going to win a lot of races. Ronnie Proctor does that. Yeah, very impressive for Ronnie. And, and as you mentioned, the box score is pretty darn strong, especially for, for bracket racing at that kind of speed and, and all the, you know, the things going through somebody's head there. But Luke, what's, what's really cool to me as I look at that, that pairing there in the final that, that Lester wasn't able to make, Ronnie qualified at a 661 at 209.92, basically 210. Lester qualified at a 625, uh, almost four tenths faster at nearly 10 miles per hour less. <laughs> what, what in the world was going on with Lester Johnson? I mean, we know he can go fast. We Sandbagger. Know he, we know he can run the minimum. What the heck was he doing? My assumption is, um, speaking of NHRA and uh, slaps on the wrist, you did. You do get sent to the principal's office if you go faster than six ten. Judging by this, I'm going to say that Lester Johnson was on a six zero run when he went six twenty five at two hundred. But the fact that he went six twenty five at two hundred tells me that he thought that was a possibility, and he wanted to make sure he got on the qualifying sheet. Well done, Lester. Well done, Lester. Well, case in point, in round two. Uh, it shows us here on the uh, on the old scorecard that Lester Johnson went 620 with a zero to be four above. So at that point, Lester was dialed down nine hundredths from that qualifying ET. And if I know Lester Johnson like I think I know Lester Johnson, Lester Johnson could go faster than 616 right there. I mentioned that friend of the podcast, Ronnie Park, Rod, Ronnie Proctor, 
uh, only had to defeat three opponents side-by-side uh, side to win this national event. One of those opponents was one Doug Gaber. Jed Gaber. Shouts to Doug Gaber. He actually cornered me at Atlanta, had his name, I believe, on his jacket, on his shirt, and said, hey, man, what's that say? I said, honestly, I have no idea. We've butchered it several times, and he said, it's real easy. It's just like it's spelled. Gaber. Shouts to Doug Gaber. <laughs> Lucas Oilson. Um, a mid-podcast shout. A mid-podcast mid shout. <laughs> Don't worry. We're not done. He'll get another mention. Luca, NHRA Lucas Oil Series went to Dallas last weekend. Double divisional. Um, Storylines from there, a couple that stood out to me. Three-time NHRA Super Stock World Champ, Greg Stanfield. Better known today, perhaps, as Aaron's dad. Also a three-time champ of his own. And vying for number four. Superstock win at Dallas in Aaron's car, I believe. Uh, made back-to-back -back wins. He also won at Houston. He is now second nationally. Has a real legitimate shot at returning to those glory days of... What is that? It's got to be two decades ago that he was... I believe, if memory serves, his three Superstock championships were back-to-back-to-back. -to -back -to -back. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I have <laughs> <laughs> Stanfield still trails the aforementioned Brett Candies in the early national points chase. And again, it is early, but uh, he's putting up a score that I feel like he's going to be a threat. Stock Eliminator, I wanted to bring this out. This was in the second of the two races. Parker DeVore, uh, who we've talked about here on the show before, uh, last year's number two finisher nationally, very, very talented bottom bowl racer. He gets the win in Stock Eliminator in race two. And his box score was really impressive, but it's not the story that I wanted to bring up here. It was the runner-up. Sheila May Holt, a.k.a. the chick with the stick. Okay, there's two rounds that make Sheila's box score look ugly, but one of them was a bye run where she didn't go down the racetrack, just staged and took the tree. The other, uh, Wes Neely went red well in front of her, and I'm assuming that she just kind of quit and didn't, whatever. She was like negative 128 on that run. Let's throw that one out. Besides that, Sheila May is turning loose a clutch pedal in a high 10-second uh, stock eliminator car. Her lights, 22, 21, 13, 11. And then in the final, opposite Parker DeVore, Big Jed, she is 002 take uh, 7. No, 2 take 8. Yeah, 2 take 8. 2 take 8, final round of Stock Eliminator. I'd take 2 take 8 in the final round of the million with the delay box on the 8th mile. Yes. She's 2 take 8, banging gears on the long track. It was no good. Parker DeVore, 7, couple thou under, winner. But shouts to Sheila. Chick with a stick putting on a show <laughs> that really is remarkable uh what what she comp accomplished there with the stick car and you know bless her heart go out there go double oh two take eight in the final that's got to win luke in any category much less in stock but my dog yes parker devore is my dog he's an oklahoma sooner loving son of a gun but i still love him he is arguably the largest bracket racer in the country this guy looks like sasquatch he is huge he's tall and just a big big man laser down seven and nine thou under where she had to take five or less and got eight so parker with a heck of a lap there had a strong box score himself had a cummings and an emmons in his path to the final round and gets it done so uh, great accomplishment by Sheila, no doubt. Chick with a stick uh, is, is a great, um, great name, great nickname to have. 
but uh, but my man Parker, that's a huge win for him. I'm really proud for him. Uh, another big story from Stock Limiter. I think I mentioned that that quarter mile ran that she limit the quarter mile run. Quarter final run. I'm struggling today, Jed. Quarter final run that she won was over Wes Neely, who turned it red. We've talked about Wes a few times on the podcast. He just keeps on keeping on, Big Jed. That slow stock eliminator car, this quarter final appearance just continues to bolster his uh, points total that is just busting at the seams, specifically on the divisional side. Like he leads the national points right now by over 100 points at 486. Now, 486 is not going to win the world championship. He's got work left to do, but he's put himself in an incredible position specifically on the divisional side. I believe, I don't have this in front of me, he's got like over 400 points in division right now. There's only five races that count to that, so he's basically averaging a runner-up already, and there's still races to improve. Wow. There's a huge bonus this year, thanks to Rooftech, for all the Division Four champions. Uh, I'm not going to say it. Like, Wes Neely's in good shape to win the national championship. He may end up doing it. I kind of want to call it like he's going to be your Division Four champion. That's done. Uh, Wes Neely putting on a show uh, to win the national points. Like I think, uh, looking at it, like he'd need another final, probably two, to end up winning it. Just because in stock, like typically somebody or a handful of people just put on a show, and that that championship number gets north of certainly 600, maybe 650. So Wes has still got some work to do. But I just we've said it before, but I think it's worth crediting. Um, him for the season that he's put together thus far, regardless of what you're driving, but much less driving one of the the slower cars in today's stock eliminator. Really impressive. Yes, Wes off to a super hot start, uh, continuing that. And I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Uh, you know, it's a it's a it's very good equipment. Don't get me wrong, and he's a very talented racer. But in terms of what you you're seeing, the trend become in stock eliminator or big brackets or whatever you know it's faster as you mentioned earlier about the 450 dragsters faster is better and the stockers are wanting to go fast but wes is doing it with a fairly modest uh, type of vehicle in stock eliminator and doing it well so uh, you know we saw a champion last year in uh, a modest operation and uh, you know it'd be great to see that get repeated again this year with one of our uh, southeastern guys here in West Neely. So uh, great to see him accomplish what he's done so far and really hope that, that he's able to hold him off and, and continue to get the points necessary to, to be a major contender at the end of the year. Super gas at Dallas. Um, I, I did manage to win the first event of the two, but once again, I feel like I was overshadowed. The story of the weekend in Supergas, Coy Collier, no question. Coy, semifinalist in the first event, then comes back, wins the second event. Really impressive weekend from uh, a family that's certainly uh, no stranger to the winner's circle, but uh, Coy really getting it done on all levels this year. He's had tremendous success bracket racing. I believe this is his first appearance uh, on the NHRA Tour this year. Hops in that Camaro Supergasser uh, and, and puts on a show. Was uh, What does that add up to? He was like 12-1 and one on the weekend. So really impressive stuff from Coy. Pretty strong stuff from Coy. Something we've come to uh, to expect now, and, and obviously he's capable of doing it on both sides of the bracket and in HRA competition. So really talented young driver that's doing well. But Luke, let's Let's get back over to you and another super gas win. Uh, I would assume what you have created with your early season success is uh, a little more of a hit to the gas or the fuel card. 
because I would imagine that's going to increase the number of events that, that you're going to attend with your beautiful C7 uh, Charlie Stewart race car. I'll be honest, Jed, like this was basically our plan for the season anyway. As I've said here before, like we enjoy the NHRA format of competition. Um, so our our plan, my wife and I this year, was to, to kind of make the six and eight anyway. At least we had that penciled in on the calendar. So not necessarily a huge change in plans. We we did opt to chase the Division Four title mainly because of the roof tech bonus and, and just where we're at geographically, it made sense. So I do think like just having been through these situations before, right, where you have a hot start or get hot at some point during the season, I mean, on one hand, like, yes, I could not have asked for a better start to the year. I mean, I lost second round in the second race at Dallas, but the first three events I went to, I was in three finals. Like, that's awesome. You, you, you can't, you can't uh, ask any more of that. Like, that's a dream start, obviously. And I think my points total probably looks good right now. But again, I've been through this enough to know that the if you're talking like national championship, those don't, you, you don't win those in May. You can lose them in May can't win them in May um, and I ultimately like in any other class to get there I think you need to amass 650 points which is whatever that my goal is to always put up 650 and I say that's my goal like I've done it once twice maybe um, but and that's not a guarantee that 650 is going to win the world championship but if you put up 650 like that's a really good season like that's an that's an outstanding season so if someone trumps that then you just more power to them but to get i guess my point on all this is to get to 650 you need minimum five maybe six finals so as awesome as this early season run is i'm maybe halfway to the goal like there's just a lot of racing left to do oh yeah a ton of racing left to do and, and you said you can't win it in may but you can lose it but you certainly can't win it in November if uh, you don't at some point uh, put together some a, a good string of wind lights and you've done that and put yourself certainly in position to to be a contender with a with a finishes much like what you've been having so uh, good luck to you on that and, and certainly if that was your plans for the year to make uh, to make all the the races that you can count towards the championship run and I'm sure you will be just that, my friend. Looking forward to watching that play out as well. Super comp at Dallas. Lyndon Rutland on a roll. Uh, he won the first event at Dallas. He also won the prior event at Houston. So that's back-to-back Division Four wins for the former NHRA World Champion. And again, we're talking roof tech bonus in Division Four. Uh, he looks to have a stranglehold on the super comp. Chase defeated Chris LeBlanc in that first final. Race two, Big Jed. Bill Dennis wins, and again, I'm going to highlight the the nasty box score for Mr. Mr. Dennis. Uh, The tree, he's 35 first round. Other than that, like 14 to 17 with 1001. Uh, Impressive, but not like, oh my God. What was the, oh my God, was after running 901 in round one, he posted runs between 890 with a zero and 891.2 in the six subsequent rounds just matching the index every time that he staged. Um, Mm. I thought it's interesting, too. You probably see it as I shared that box score on the screen. Bill Dennis defeats a familiar name in the final, but one that we don't necessarily often associate with NHRA Super Comp Racing. A young man by the name of Hunter Patton drove to the runner-up in Super Comp, Big Jed. Surprised? Not surprised at all, really, but yes. 
Um, <laughs> I, I know Wait that a second. <laughs> I know that don't make sense. Uh, you know, not surprised by the results, just surprised to see him there. Uh, so, you know, Hunter, certainly a guy capable of going to the winner's circle. If you've got a steering wheel and a button and a couple of pedals under him, uh, not again, not surprised to see how well he performed, but just surprised that that was on his radar, really, um, more so than anything. And you talk about box scores, Luke, uh, seven rounds of competition. Do you see how many times he lit up 8.90? I do. Five of those. And and one of the ones that he didn't was 89.6. So very, the other very one that he, impressive. The other one that he didn't, by the way, the, he sent the crank trigger wheel through the body panel. And the car shut off. Oh, that's what happened. So Elrod <laughs> must have went red or something. Uh, it was yeah. Jamie Elrod actually went under. Oh okay. Oh wow. Yeah, no, yeah. but he wasn't happy about that. No. Um, okay, so we brought this up a little bit earlier, and how there was a time when, let's say, Scotty Richardson would win stock eliminator at the U.S. Nationals and go to the final round of the million dollar race in the same season right there was a time when uh, david rampey would double up at an nhra national event and win the moroso five day there was a time when racers would hit the bottom the top long track short track whatever like as we mentioned earlier there's just not a lot of opportunity or necessity for today's standout competitors to showcase that type of versatility hunter did that like i'm I know that racers like Ray Ray Miller, like John LaBoose Jr. make this look easy, but there is a, a pretty significant difference in strategy and, and to some extent skill set between winning a quarter mile super comp race and even you know an eighth mile bracket race in the same car. And for Hunter to kind of flex that muscle is really impressive. And you mentioned his box score, like his lights are really impressive too, but that's almost a given, right? We've come to expect that. He was 25 one round. Other than that, his worst was 15. He was double O three of the seven rounds that he staged for, right? Again, that's impressive, but from Hunter Patton, I'd be like, yeah, like that's kind of what I expect to see. To your point, the 90s. For someone that doesn't do a lot of this, to go 95 of the seven rounds, and in the final, he missed it by fourth out. By the way, that runner-up for Hunter Patton, uh, 14 take four. Bill Dennis was 14 total. Yeah. Um, to, so, so Hunter's fourth out under. Um, like I've said before that I think it would be a, an awesome like science experiment to put Johnny Brackett Racer in a super comp car because I just feel like his skill set is tailor-made for it. Like, if you don't know exactly what you're going and the, the in, in order to win the round, you have to outdrive everyone at the finish line. Um, like, give me Johnny Brackett or give me Jeff Sarah, right? Like, I just feel like they would absolutely thrive in that type of competition if there was ever a reason for them to do it. Hunter and thrive will it has thrived, obviously, and will thrive in that competition if he wants to go down that road, but in a little bit of a different way. And I don't mean to diminish Hunter's skill set. He's incredible, obviously, on both ends of the racetrack. But Hunter is a, a bit of a throwback in my mind. Like, when I see Hunter, I think of like a, a younger Jason Lynch, like or, or racers that like Hunter is very workmanlike. He is very, especially at his age, very, very in tune to what his car needs and like not afraid to work on it. And that's kind of what it takes 
to be good in the super classes like there's a lot of nuance there's a lot of technical skill that goes into like having a consistent bracket car and having a consistent 90 car are really two different worlds and he's a guy that would be willing to do the work to explore that and when you combine that with his on-track skill set like he's another one like for a different reason like i would just love to turn him loose in that uh, format for say a year's time and see how good he could do because i think it would be dominant i think it'd be really impressive yeah all very good points uh you, you know you're talking about a guy that um just has it has the it factor when he gets on the racetrack and and we all you know us us mere mortals tend to look at that and and think well you know he's just got it uh, he's just a, a guy that's capable on both ends and good equipment but you alluded to it that hunter works extremely hard on his setups and he, he fine tunes his cars uh works on them hard to make sure that that they are performing at the level necessary to to be a champion or a winner so uh the the fact that that he's displayed that that effort in in his run is uh is something that i think would keep him uh, right on top of any category that that he chooses to run in and you know i'm i'm sure the bracket racers are going yeah hunter go do that man go do that super <laughs> comp thing you go you'd be great at it you'd be a legend go get that wally <laughs> yeah yeah go win it bro yeah if, if well my impression of how hunter works like if i was going to all the big bracket races i'd be egging it on hunter there you can't win it you can't go win a super comp world championship you ain't you, you don't have that club in the back like I'd, I'd push that i'd push that button see where that went um no to 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 your point and i'll reiterate like i feel like this is the the shower praise give give nick hastings and and, and hunter Patton their flowers this is the podcast for it right um but i will say the season that hunter had last year and to the just his age if nothing else like to the old guard that could have been very easily construed as like who is this punk kid right like and and, and i think it would be easy in a vacuum to to not like hunter i will say this one specific instance and i wasn't there but i've heard the story from so many racers that i know how much respect he gained from that crowd you know like the 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 touring big dollar big bracket crowd that has maybe been doing this for 15 20 years there was an instance at an event last year where hunter literally changed torque converters in the staging lanes during competition and not like a buyback round like fourth fifth round and that just then and this was in the midst of his just reign you know what i mean where this was in the midst of two months where he was in basically every final and that was one moment where everybody just turned around and said you know what this kid's earning this like he is putting in the work you know and, and i just that stands out to me that's who hunter is yeah i agree and and last thing i will say luke is there might be something comforting to hunter uh, by putting it on the popper before he lets go he might get his find his inner troy williams jr uh, because the stove string of lights very impressive so he might find his inner troy williams jr and decide to to go popper uh, a stage popper before he lets go and, and even in the bracket race and and become more of a threat if that's even possible that was impressive run he had there it was it was there's something to that it makes you it makes you focus it must 
<laughs> I had a couple other quick notes from Dallas. Competition Eliminator, that's where that Roof Tech bonus is really huge, right? And and impacting not just the, the total points, but race-to-race -race basis. Um, and it's having an impact at Dallas. There's 41 Competition Eliminator entries. Like, I've been to Indy when they didn't have 41 Competition Eliminators. Yeah. I, I, there was a time I, didn't, I wasn't sure that there was 41 Competition Eliminator cars in the country. They were all at one racetrack, right? So kudos to Roger Brogdon and what they've done there to, to really bring not only those racers out, but I'll just speak for myself from afar, like the intrigue in that category. Um, and racers from literally all over the country, not only driving to the Division Four events, but claiming Division Four, going to all of them. Um, Kevin Self, winner in the first race over Doug Lambeck. Lambeck there all the way from California. Uh, Cody Lane, who is claiming Division Four from Washington State, wins race two over Greg Camplain, another racer that is would normally be competing out of Division Three. Uh, Greg's from the Indianapolis area, also claiming Division Four this season. Uh, briefly, top dragster and top sportsman. I know we're spending a lot of time on a division race. I just thought there was a lot of intriguing stories from Dallas. Um, Greg Lair wins top sportsman in the first race over Vince Hoda. Lance Abbott wins the second race over David Bills. Got time for a quick Greg Lair story? Always. Love him. Greg Lair has been going fast indoor cars. I, w I venture to say longer than I've been alive. Certainly longer than I've been paying attention. So back in my youth, and this is before I was old enough to even take the wheel, so I'm probably 10 years old, the biggest race... I think one of the bigger events in the country, like it wasn't the Moroso Five Day, but this is before the days of the Million Dollar Race. I think this is before, yeah, this is before the days of the B&M Series, right? They're talking 1990, 1991. Um, the biggest event in our area, growing up in North Texas, was called the Texas Shootout. And in, in looking back, it seems bizarre, but it was an awesome format in the time because, keep in mind, like none of us had toter homes and stackers where we're trying to load up three cars like it was everybody's truck and an open trailer if the event would be contested thursday at texas raceway my home track little eighth mile track uh, near fort worth five thousand dollars to win friday quarter mile texas motorplex 30 miles away five thousand dollars to win saturday back to kennedale and the short track sunday back to the motorplex right so everybody would just go back and forth it was awesome and it brought in cars from everywhere well Greg Lair pulls into this event one year, and again, in my youth. And keep in mind, this is 1990, Jed. Like, I, I would venture to say that the fastest door car that I'd see on a regular basis might go 570. Maybe, maybe there was some oh. crazy guy going 50s. You know what I mean? Greg Lair rolls into this event, which with at the time, like an IROC-style Camaro that looks like a pro-stock car of the day. And it's got all of these huge push buttons lined up on the trans tunnel and I'm like what the heck are those well that's how you shift it because it didn't have a power glide <laughs> and Greg Lair is dialed 518 and my first instinct is this guy is nuts right and he didn't win the five grander that day but this was before buybacks the second chance race was like a $2,000 win consolation race and Greg Lair won that race dialed 518 in a Linko equipped push button shifted mountain motor camaro and it was the coolest thing i had ever seen so ever since that day greg lair has been a pedestal been on a pedestal in my mind 
and uh, he just elevates that with a win over Vince Hoda. By the way, Vince Hoda, current NHRA national championship leader. Vince is putting together a great year, so shouts to him, but I wanted to share that on Greg Lair. Cool dude, and uh, been going fast for a long, long time. Still pushing buttons. Yeah, I sound like Greg was way ahead of his time there, uh, 1990. I in 1990, I was still making six-time runs and dialing it too faster than my fastest run, uh, and I don't think I ever saw anything with doors go five anything in 90 unless they were running the fast eight class that, that you know everybody come to watch. So um, that was a, that was way ahead of his time and, and still doing it. So good story, real good story. I loved it. Top dragster Darian Bosch gets the win in race one. No surprise there. Defeated Dane Ward in the final. Phil Dion all the way from Arizona. Win over Scott Parker in race two at Dallas. And Big Jed, I think that's everything I've got. Is there anything that we missed that you wanted to touch on? Uh, no, not really. Uh, you, you talked about the 41 entries in, uh, in Comp Eliminator at the D4 race. Um, just, you know, in my head, I was thinking that's at least $5 million worth of race cars. Uh, on the ground in that one category because those things are 100 g's minimum and probably a lot of them get to 200 so um just i don't know really why i wanted to mention that but you know just to put it in perspective it was probably five million dollars plus worth of comp cars on the grounds well that's why i think that the roof tech deal is so notable because um it's the first time that that class has ever had the opportunity to race for purses that are even remotely commensurate to the investment necessary to compete in stock eliminator i mean it's fifty thousand dollars to win the division championship and they bump up the purses at every event too like it's i don't know it's 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 i don't know if it justifies the the expense much less the work of competition eliminator but it's 10 times what it pays anywhere else you know yeah, and, and you'll you'll win more by winning that division than you'll win for winning the the national championship. So you know it's it's going to be a fivefold. It, it'd be a pride thing too for the for the D four uh, winner. You know they they know they've beaten people that that came for that money. So it, it's going to be going to be pretty cool to see how that plays out. And Luke, I guess that's it. That's it. That's the show. Wrap us up. Wow. What a whole lot of stuff we talked about there. What a fun show. Really good stuff. It was good to be back together. Our our team getting back together for the first time in a few weeks uh, full. So great to to do that and great to talk sportsman drag racing with everybody and and talk about the the heroes within it. So a lot of fun, but uh, that does wrap us up. Um, You know, we we certainly would love to hear from, from you, the listener, on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can uh, send us a private message and producer Mark and yourself, or you can put it right out there on the, the Facebook page for everybody to see if you got an opinion on some of the great racers that we talk about, some of the great performances, whatever. If you got something that, uh, that you want everybody to see or hear, just put it right out there on the, the Facebook page and let us see what's going on. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. We would love to hear from you often. Um, on on the subjects that we talk about here or some subjects that you would like us to talk about so definitely uh definitely would would hope to see some uh, some response out there for you from you so luke um you know we we talked to you gave a basically a mid podcast shout to to doug gaber 
and I'm sure he's going to make the list again. But let's hear those shouts, bro. I'm, I'm really excited to get back to shout time. Shouts to trivia time. Shouts to Calvin, Kevin Kleinweber. Shouts to both Ronnie Proctor and Timmy Markaglu. Those are two names that I've said repeatedly without issue. I completely stepped all over myself with both of them earlier in the show. So shouts to both of those guys. Shouts to Sheila May Holt. She is the chick with a stick. Shouts to Parker DeVore. You, what do you call him, a Sasquatch? Yeah, he's the biggest Sasquatch, yeah. The biggest Sasquatch. Shouts to the Oklahoma Sooners. Shouts to Wes Neely and channeling his inner Jody Lang. And shouts to... Doug Gaber, especially shouts to Doug Gaber. Yeah, good, good list, great list there. Welcome back to the shouts, and uh, it's good that, to be here. Uh, that does it for us, guys. Uh, if you do Twitter, Luke and I both are very active on the Twitter. You need to to look us up there and tweet us. Certainly, reach out to us there. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B O G A C K I. I am at JP11X. Certainly want to hear from you there as well. And um, we just look forward to uh, to getting back together with you soon and talking more sportsman drag racing here on the podcast. Luke, last thing I want to leave you with as to, to wrap the show up is, you know, I, I'm not sure that, that you know this, so I, wanna, I want to educate you. Do you know how a cat likes its steak cooked? I do not. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. Talk to you again soon. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.